Our scripture tonight is from the third chapter of Mark, verses 7 through 19. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, and Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the reading of God's word. All right, I'm going to give the mic one, a couple more tries, and I'll turn it off if it continues to do that. So let's pray and uh, ask God to help us understand this part of his word well. Please join me. Father, we pray now that you would help us and encourage us as we look at this part of the scriptures to believe that what is taught to us here and what is reported to us here is true, but not just that it's true as some sort of historical propositional fact, but that it's truth that is intended to change us and to form us and to mold us into the people that you intended us to be originally, God. God, we confess tonight that our rebellion against you, our own selfishness and sin has distorted our being made in your image, and we have run from you. And Father, we thank you that as we go through this gospel, we see how you have not given up on your people, but rather you have pursued us by sending Jesus. And Lord, as we continue to study his life and listen to him speak to us and be overwhelmed by what he is able to do, we pray that you would grant to us the faith that you call us to. Father, whether we are not believers at this moment, whether we're struggling to believe, whether we've been believers for decades, Lord, tonight, will you please grant to us faith? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the ancient world, the world in which Mark wrote this gospel, discipleship, the idea of discipleship was quite a big deal. It was a normal thing that people understood. And the reason that people understood the concept of discipleship in the ancient world is because they had come from a long tradition, a long lineage, both in the Jewish and the Greek and Roman world of discipleship. You know, two of the most famous ancient Greek city-states, Athens and Sparta are very well known for being a highly disciplined, discipleship-oriented type of culture. The Spartans, very different from the Athenians, the Spartans are the warriors, you know. If you've seen uh, the 300, which is a really, really, by the way, not a very good adaptation of an awesome book by Stephen Pressfield called Gates of Fire. If you are a male in here tonight, you should read that book. It is awesome. Gates of Fire, about Sparta. Uh, But anyway, um, the Spartans were the warrior tribe, the warrior culture. 
culture. And from the time a Spartan young man was three years old, he was being trained, he was being discipled in his community for one purpose, and that was to fight for Sparta. In Athens, it was a little bit different. Athens was known as a headquarters of philosophy and knowledge and intellect and academia. And it was the same there, however, when it came to discipleship. From very early ages, disciples had tutors, or excuse me, disciples had students, and the students would spend all their time with them. They would train with them and study with them and learn from them from the earliest moments that they could remember until they were ready to become philosophers themselves. And so by the time Jesus comes along and begins to talk about discipleship, By the time Jesus begins to speak about what it means to be a follower of his, that sort of language is very familiar both for the Jewish people and for the Gentile people that he is interacting with on a daily basis. If discipleship means anything, it means being with the master, being with the teacher, spending time with the one who is discipling you and learning, learning from that person. That's what we, in some ways, are seeing in these verses that were read for us tonight. What we find here is sort of a a transitional point in Mark's gospel. The first half of the reading is sort of Mark summarizing everything that's happened so far and sort of giving a summary of this is what Jesus was doing. And then the second part of our reading is Jesus calling his initial 12 team members, his initial 12 disciples who are going to do the work of apostles to himself. And so what we want to think about tonight, just for a couple of minutes together, is this idea of discipleship in the way of Jesus, discipleship with Jesus. What does it mean to be with Jesus? What does it mean to be his disciple? Let's sum it up this way. Discipleship means, according to Mark's gospel, discipleship means being with Jesus and being sent out by Jesus, even if you are misunderstood like Jesus. Okay? Discipleship means being with Jesus and being sent out by Jesus, even if you are misunderstood like Jesus. Okay? So three points. I want to just break that phrase down. First, discipleship means being misunderstood like Jesus. Second, it means being with Jesus. And third, it means being sent out by Jesus. Okay, so let's first then see what Mark has for us here. And I think, again, a way to say it here in these first few verses, verses 7 through 12, is that discipleship means being misunderstood like Jesus was misunderstood. This first section is sort of a a summary section. As I mentioned, Mark is summarizing what Jesus' early ministry around Galilee was like. And what we see, among other things, is that if you are going to be with Jesus, you're going to, to some extent, experience the sort of things Jesus experienced. That was true then, and that is also true now if you want to follow him. You're going to have to deal with some of the things that he had to deal with. And one thing that you see here is that Jesus, if he was anything, he was misunderstood. He was misunderstood. If you'll look back up in verse 6, you'll see that the Pharisees, after he heals the man with the withered hand, the Pharisees and the Herodians, so the religious leaders and the political leaders of Jesus' day, got together and started figuring out how they were going to destroy him. How they were going to destroy him. Jesus is misunderstood, and oftentimes that leads to people being hostile. People seeking to destroy him. And being a disciple of Jesus is the same. You are at times, if you're going to follow Jesus, going to be misunderstood and people will oppose you. 
just like they did Jesus. Remember that Jesus' kingdom and Jesus' message, as we've been seeing each week in this gospel, are opposed to the way and the message of this world. And Jesus says that what matters is not status or wealth or power or privilege. What matters in Jesus' kingdom is faith and humility. And so the way of Jesus is always going to offend and run up against those who are invested in the power structures of this world. If you are going to follow Christ, you're going to be misunderstood. And that's going to mean that sometimes you're going to be opposed. You're going to face hostility. If you continue to read through the New Testament, which I would encourage you to do, you'll get to the book of Acts, which is post-resurrection, after Jesus has been raised from the dead and the story of the church starting out. And what you see in Acts, in almost every chapter, are the people of God being opposed. Opposed by the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders of the day, and opposed by... Okay, here we go. Jesus is being misunderstood. Where was I? Yeah, he's being misunderstood, and people oppose him. You're going to be opposed if you follow Jesus too. That's exactly what we see in every chapter of Acts. So Jesus is misunderstood. If you're going to be his disciple, you're going to be misunderstood. But... Interestingly enough, we see here that Jesus is also adored. I mean, look in verse 7, 8, 9, 10. This is in many ways the height of his personal popularity, the height of his ministry. People from all over the place are following him. We see there in verse 8 that people even from Tyre and Sidon are following him. That is over 100 miles away. In the ancient world, that is like a cross-country trek. People are coming literally from all over to the ends of the earth, so to speak, to hear and to see and to experience Jesus. They adore him. They love him. But it becomes clear that they still don't really get him. I mean, look at what happens. They want him to heal them, and he does heal them graciously. Diseases come, and he heals those people. They're pressing all around him. But we see there in verse 11 that when the unclean spirits, the demons that he's going to cast out, when they see Jesus and are cast out, they say, you are the Holy One. You are the Son of God. Now, why would Mark throw that in right here? Well, he's throwing it in as a bit of irony to show that the only beings that really at this point get Jesus are the demons. They're the only people that don't misunderstand him. Sometimes he's hated and there's hostility. Sometimes he's adored and there is love. But no one really gets him at this point, especially his disciples. The demons get him, but most people don't. You know, if you're considering being a Christian, if you're wanting to know what it's like to follow Jesus, Jesus doesn't pull punches with you. This is something you need to understand. It's something that he calls us to accept and even embrace when we make the decision to follow him. Following Jesus oftentimes means that people, sometimes people who are very close to you, are not going to understand you. They're not going to get at all what you are doing. Maybe that's been the case in some of your lives already. If you've decided to follow Jesus, or if you are considering what it means to be a Christian, and you might have had to have some really difficult conversations with people, with people in your family, with people who are your friends. You might have faced hostility even. You might have actually had to pay something to be one of Jesus's people. One of, one of the things about this passage that I hope will encourage you tonight is the idea that Jesus 
understands exactly what you are experiencing, if that's something that you are experiencing. Jesus knows what it's like to be misunderstood. He knows what it's like to, on the one, in one moment, be hated by everyone, and in the next moment, be loved by everyone. And so understanding the way of Jesus means knowing that that's oftentimes going to happen, and yet Jesus walks with you as his disciple through it. It also helps us to remember never to get too low when there's hostility and never to get too high when there's adoration because it can always, boom, change in an instant. So the first thing we see then about discipleship, from these verses anyway, is that discipleship means you're going to be misunderstood like Jesus was misunderstood. But secondly, um, I, want to, I want to show you that discipleship means being with Jesus. What does Jesus do when all the crowds are pressing in on him? Verse 13. He did what he very often does. He goes up on a mountain. He retreats. He gets away. And Mark tells us he called to him those whom he desired, and they came, and he appointed 12, the disciples, whom he is going to name apostles, whom he named apostles, Mark tells us, so that they might, two things, they might be with him, and so that he might send them out to preach. But the main thing that we see here is that following Jesus, being one of Jesus's called ones, being one of Jesus's disciples, in a sense, first and foremost, means simply being with Jesus. Chuck Miller is an author. He's written this. The Christian life is about friendship, intimacy, and connection with Jesus Christ. It's about coming and following him. Now, that's very hard for a lot of us to understand because we are doers. We're in a culture of doing, a culture of busyness, a culture of go, go, go. And it's very difficult for many of us to to be, to just be friends with Jesus. And so I think that it's very important to hear the Holy Spirit speaking to us here and saying that before you are a soldier of God, you are a son of God. Before you are a fighter for Jesus, you are a friend of Jesus. You know that you just struggle. You struggle just to be, just to be with Jesus. You know, we all do probably. Again, especially in America, you struggle to just be with yourself, for crying out loud, with your spouse, with with God. Blaise Pascal was an 18th century French theologian and philosopher, and he wrote that all men's miseries derive from not being able to sit in a quiet room alone. All men's miseries derive from not being able to sit in a quiet room alone. How many of you can identify with that? How many of you struggle to pray for, you know, two or more minutes without mental distraction? How how many of you struggle to be emotionally present even if you are... How many of you are always emotionally absent, even if you're physically present? Let me put it that way. How many of you uh, struggle to listen intently to others and to make yourself physically and mentally and emotionally available for them? How many of you sit and consider who you are and what is happening in your inner world before you get distracted? Probably not many of us if it's anything more than 30 seconds. You know, we live in a Twitter-fied world, a world of 130 characters, and that's about it. And I think it's important for us to remember here that the heart of the Christian life is simply, in many ways, being with Jesus. So let me ask this. How do we do that? How do you as a disciple or one who is considering discipleship with Jesus, how can you just be with him? I mean, he's not 
physically present with us anymore like he was with the disciples. And so being with Jesus is a spiritual exercise. It's an act of spirituality. It's, a, it's something that you have to engage in in your heart by faith. So let me just take a couple of minutes and help us, because this is something I struggle with too, think about how we can be with Jesus as his disciples, how we can follow him in the way that he's calling his disciples here to follow him. Three things real quick as we think about being with Jesus. First, we have got to slow down. We have got to slow down. People in our world are all extremely busy. And, you know, in a sense, that's a good thing. That's a strength. But so often our strength becomes a weakness. Learning to be with Jesus as his disciple requires our learning to slow down. We have to, you know, you've got to carve out time to not carve out time to do anything else. You've got to schedule not scheduling anything, you know. You've got to make room in your life to establish a daily rhythm of just listening to God and learning from God and being with God. We can never really learn to be when all we do is do. Practically, it's important for you just to schedule quiet time for yourself, for you you and your wife, for you and your family. Um, it's important to do that just regularly. That's something that I struggle with, to do that weekly, to do that, to do that monthly, to do that annually, annually. But until we begin to learn to slow down, it's going to be difficult for us to learn to be with Jesus. Another thing we need to learn is to listen. Now, this might sound like I'm psychoanalyzing you here, but I'm convinced that it's very important that it's actually full. In, full the scriptures are full of it. We, we have to learn first to listen to our own inner life. And then we have to learn to listen to God speaking into our lives through his word. What do I mean? When I say you have to learn to listen to your own inner life, in many ways I'm saying that you have to learn how to feel. And some of you I know are either externally or internally rolling your eyes. Um, But I'm very persuaded that many, many Christians, many, many people, including Christians, don't know how to listen to themselves. They're not self-aware. They're not emotionally healthy. One person has written, I meet many people who are afraid to feel. They are worried it will unleash a torrent of negative emotions from within themselves. They are fearful that rage and hate and bitterness and sadness and self-doubt will erupt. Well, listen, that is going to happen (laughs) when you listen to yourself. When you take time to sit and think and understand what's going on inside your heart, what you are going to see there to a large extent is going to be ugly because you are a desperately broken person. What you're going to see there is negative emotions that for many, many years we have ignored or suppressed or acted out on in very impulsive and unhealthy ways. And to really learn to be a disciple of Jesus, we have to learn to listen to what's really going on in our hearts. And as we see the ugliness of our hearts, as we listen to our own inner life and what we say to ourselves all the time in our spirit, something beautiful happens if you're in the spirit. When you're honest and transparent about your whole self, not only does God not reject you, but he actually accepts and loves you just where you are. John Calvin says in the very beginning of his magisterial book, The Institutes of Christian Religion, The first sentence is that 
it's hard to know where to begin with the knowledge of self or with the knowledge of God because in so many ways they are interacting with one another at all times. What he's getting at is that the deeper we understand who we are, the deeper we're able to, in a sense, listen to ourselves and engage with our own messiness and brokenness and sadness and sin, the more we begin to understand what God is like. So sit and be with Jesus by listening to who you are and to what's going on in your heart and in your head. But don't just do that. Listen to God as well. You know, typically when we listen to ourselves, the things that we hear ourselves saying are things like this. I am a mistake. I am a burden to people. I'm worthless. I'm not allowed to mess up. I must be approved by certain people in order to feel okay. I don't have the right to experience joy. I don't have the right to make my feelings known. I am valued based on what I can do for people, not on who I am. I'm going to be rejected. Those are the sorts of things we tell ourselves. That's what comes out. When we sit and listen to who we are, that's why Pascal said that all of man's misery stem from the inability to just sit in a room by yourself. It's because those are the things that are swirling inside of us all the time. And you have to hear those things. If you're ever going to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to hear those things inside of you if you're ever going to really love and grasp by faith what God says of you. Because that is not what God says of you. So as you listen to your own inner life and learn to feel, listen to God's word as well. When you hear your inner darkness, turn back to the truth of the gospel. That's what Jesus wants here. That's what it means to be with him. It means to understand both the depth of your own need and the depth of God's grace, which is sufficient to meet all of our needs more and more and more. That's what Jesus is all about. Jesus is about exposing us and then rescuing us. He's about exposing your fake religiosity or your really, really ridiculous ridiculous irreligiosity. But he is definitely after you being exposed. But so that you can then begin to understand him. So that you can listen to his word. Because God tells you things like this. I love you. You are made and valued by me. In Jesus, you are fully accepted and deeply loved. You have your own identity and purpose in the world and you are valuable. You can make mistakes and still be completely forgiven. You are entitled not to be perfect and have to please everybody because God has freed you with his love. Now, practically one way that you can do that is by praying through the Psalms. You know, the Psalms are in the Bible for many reasons, but one is because they represent the full scale of human emotion. And if you just read through the Psalms, which I've just done in the last month or so as I'm making my way through the Bible this year, you'll see that almost every Psalm contains negative emotion. (laughs) Why are you doing this, God? I feel abandoned. I feel left for dead. I feel alone. I feel dark. And then they speak to themselves what's true in God's word. One way for us to grow in our ability to be disciples of Jesus, to be with Jesus, is to read through particularly the psalm book, the Psalter, the ancient hymnal of the scriptures, and let God work on us as we we imbibe these things, as we embrace these things, as these things go deeper and deeper into our hearts. 
Now, Jesus is definitely telling us that discipleship means being with him, but he doesn't leave us there. He says also, thirdly, that discipleship means being sent by him. Look back there again in verse 14. Jesus calls his disciples. He says that he calls them so that they would be with him. We've just been talking about that. And then so that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. So Jesus doesn't just call you into communion with himself. He calls you into communion with himself so that he might then send you out on mission. And the danger that we often face is one of two things. We either don't go out on mission at all, we don't live as sent ones, or we go out on mission with God trying to win the world for Jesus without first experiencing communion with him. We skip over the be with Jesus and go straight to being sent by Jesus. And when you do that, you're going to end up burning out, becoming bitter and jaded. But what God calls us to here is first communing with him, being with him, and then in the power of that communion with Jesus, going out with him, being sent with him. Your mission for Jesus flows out of your life with Jesus. That applies to you individually, and also, by the way, it applies to us corporately as a church. I mean, there's two big things that the church does, really three big things. We worship which is what we're doing now. We enjoy community together, thick, loving community, and we go together out in the name of Jesus for the sake of the world. And our worship is intended to, to infuse in us the spiritual power and joy and life and faith that will give our mission power. And so as we worship together, we are in a sense being, being fueled for our mission together. But if we skip out on the worship and just go on mission, that leads to very, very dark places. So discipleship means being with Jesus and then in the power of that communion with him, being sent by him. And I want to just conclude by looking at a couple of things that Jesus does here in particular. You know, as you hear some of this stuff, you might be, I don't know what you're thinking. You might be afraid. You might be confused. You might be overwhelmed. I tend to get a little bit overwhelmed when I think about what discipleship is. Because I started thinking, man, I'm not doing any of these things well, <laughs> except being misunderstood. I think that probably happens pretty regularly. But I'm not being with Jesus as well as I need to be. I'm not being sent. I'm not on a mission with Jesus like I need to be. Where, where am I supposed to turn now? And I want to point you to one very, very hopeful thing. A couple of verses before where we've kind of camped out here. Look in verse 13. Before Jesus calls his disciples to be with him or tells his disciples to be with him. And before he sends them out, we read Mark tell us that Jesus goes up on the mountain and calls to him those whom he desires. Jesus is the one who has called you to be with him and to go out in his name. And he calls whom he desires. Jesus is sovereignly administering every moment of our lives together with him. Jesus is with us when we are seeking to be with him. And Jesus is with us, leading us, calling us, sovereignly ruling over us in our efforts to go out on mission in his name. I mean, think about what he did with these guys. I mean, it's interesting that he renames a couple of these disciples. Simon gets the name Peter. 
which in many ways is ironic. Peter means rock. And you know Peter, if you know the scriptures, he is definitely not a rock. I love Peter because he gives me hope. He's the guy that is just waxes and wanes. You know, he's hot one moment and cold the next moment. He's the guy that says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then the next moment basically says, Jesus is demon possessed, you know, in the span of three verses. Peter's a mess. Peter doesn't have, have it together. These guys, James and John, they're called the sons of thunder. Now, no one knows for sure why they're called that, but that seems like they're pretty direct, pretty boisterous, pretty loud, pretty obnoxious guys. And Simon is a zealot. This guy's a political left-wing radical. Matthew, Tim talked about Matthew a few weeks ago. He's a tax collector. He had been willing for most of his adult life to abandon all friendship and all family to make a couple of extra bucks. He's hated. And all of this ragtag motley crew is pulled together to be Jesus's inner core. The people that are going to start the church. It's not the strength of these guys' character that leads to them being with Jesus and being sent by Jesus. No, it is the call of the one who disciples them. And it, it, is, it is his persistent going ahead of them. It's his sovereign and gracious renaming of them that represents the dawn of a new era in their lives, in their hearts. That represents the dawn of a new era in your life and in your heart when you embrace King Jesus by faith and become his disciple. It can often be discouraging to try to be with Jesus and to try to go out on mission in Jesus' name. But don't be discouraged. Jesus wants people who know that they don't have it together. Jesus wants people who know that they're a mess and they're not ready yet. Jesus wants people who are quaking in their boots and whose knees are shaking at the thought of going out and telling the world about him. Because those are the types of people that will recognize their need. That will recognize that the only way any of this is happening at all is because God in Jesus has called you and has desired you. Jesus longs for you to be with him. He's a good king. He's the best king because he's also your savior who dies for your failures and was raised to lead you into a more and more glorious future. Discipleship means being misunderstood like Jesus. It means being with Jesus and it means being sent by Jesus all under the power and supreme authority of the call of Jesus on each of you. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your love for us. Thank you that you call those whom you desire, that you have called many of us to yourself. And Lord, you didn't call us because we were worthy or deserving. You didn't call us because we looked like we were going to be amazing students of yours. You didn't call us because we had sort of stuck out of the crowd. God, you called us because you want to receive glory by changing our lives. You called us because you are full of matchless and unexplainable grace towards us. And God, help us tonight to rest in that. Help us to rest in your call over our lives and be people who are able to be with you, to know you and to love you and to spend time with you, God. Help us to hear from your word. Help us to more and more know ourselves and also to know you, to know how broken and needy we are and to know how much you have met all of our needs in the gospel. 
Help us to be powerful missionaries on your behalf, God, in this world as we move forward individually and together to a dying and broken world out there seeking to love those who are far from you. Oh, God, we, we are unable to do these things, and we ask for your favor and your grace to be with us and help us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.